Job Makers is a weekly podcast produced by Pioneer Institute and the Immigrant Learning Center. I'm Denzil Mohammed, and I'll be talking with risk takers, immigrants who create new products, services, and jobs in New England and across the United States, building on the entrepreneurial spirit that led them to America in the first place. Join us every Thursday at noon. The United States is a land of opportunity. No matter where in the world you come from, there's opportunity for better here. It's what continues to draw brave young risk takers from ever since. Immigrants who want a shot in life. The growth they experience here would be exponentially greater than if they weren't. This is the case for Herbie Duvernay, principal and CEO of Windwalker Group. Windwalker is a physical and cybersecurity firm that offers training and professional services headquartered in Boston with offices in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. It was bought by Mr. Duvernay's previous company, Tyno Consulting Group, which he founded in 2009 and which by 2017 had experienced growth of 398%. Herbie Duvernay was born in Haiti, the poorest country in the hemisphere. His mother was illiterate, his father a cab driver. Mr. Duvernay knew no English, bagged groceries, and yet ended up with a master's degree and a mandate to pave the way for his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Thank you for joining us today, Herbie Duvernay. So glad to have you on JobMakers. In 30 seconds, tell me about your services, what you do. So we are a company that's provided services to uh, to a lot of companies, not just commercial, but also federal government. To We like to describe it, we get clients ready. We get them to be ready for what's next. We get them to be ready for the unknown. And the way to do that is do it through training, through risk assessment, through security, and we provide them professional services support. And in 30 seconds, give us the vision for your company. And I think you've already begun actualizing a a new stage of your vision, right? Yes. Yeah. Our vision of our company is to be the best in the space that we are in right now. We want to be one of the uh, premier organization where we focus on not just client, but also focus on our people. Because at the end of the day, we realize The company will not be where it is if it wasn't for its people. So we want to focus on our customer, but also want to focus on our people. We want to create an atmosphere and environment so not only our clients get ready, but also our employees thrive as well within the same environment. Maybe in about 60 seconds or so, guide us through the timeline of your company. So um, right around 2016, we look at our companies and looking at where could we gain more market share. Where else should we do it and what could we do? How different should we do that? But we also, I'm in a company that I'm building something long-term. So I'm not in it for one day, one week. Uh, I'm in it for a long time. So given these parameters, I realized that what I need to do is to figure out exactly how do I want to grow this business? You know, do I keep spending money on and growing internally by just being having our people knocking doors and get more clients. I think we realize there's a time spent for that, 
or do I go out there and acquire another company that's already ahead of it and then put that services and that company on top of what we do and then make it, you know, make it a new companies. We think where the market was really strong for us is training. Top CEOs, they will tell you training and development is one of the important pieces in the business. So I realized that it's important for me to get there. I realized training was so important. So when we were looking at for acquisition, we we're looking at something not only to increase our revenue, but something to give us a better angle from a different market, which is training market. So that's what we did. So we went out there, we looked for companies, and we found Wenwalker Corp at the time, which we merged and become Wenwalker Group. So we found this firm that was doing similar uh, revenue like us, and we merged them together to make a Wenwalker Group where we provide all the different services, not just from the old company, but also for the new company. The other advantage is for us as well for Wenwalker Corp. Wenwalker Corp been doing training for 25 years. And their clients include big name like IBM, Amtrak, Department of Defense, you name them. So we really felt that it would have taken us a long time to build that capabilities. Having these companies, purchasing this company would have been a better move. And that's what we did. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit more about your company later on, but I want to focus in on you. Yes. You spend the first 20 years of your life in your homeland of Haiti. Few people in the U.S. know or can even imagine what life is like there. What was life like growing up in Haiti? Uh, life was very tough growing up in Haiti. I mean, that's the thing. There was two things I always say about my 20 years in, in Haiti. One is it was a very tough life in terms of uh, from an economy perspective. But at the same time, it was a very loving environment because not only I had my mother, single mom, who loved me and loved my sister and did everything she could possibly do and protect us and do everything that most parents do for their kids, which is protecting them. My mom was always that. And the other thing also too, which is unbelievable, unbelievable for that notion is my mother, one of the things raising for 20, 20 years, I always felt she put us first. She always put us first. I mean, it was, that was just the way it is. This is, I live, I mean, in my mom's mindset, I live for my kids. I want my kids to be the best they can be. Even though the environment where we are from an economy perspective was, was, was not good at all. I mean, we were very poor. Uh, we live in one room house. Uh, I mean, not even house. We live in one room <laughs> with my sister, myself, and my mom. Uh, my mom worked in a factory from six days a week from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. She would make, at the time, maybe a dollar, you know, a day for the work she was doing. Uh, she was making aluminum bowl. You know, we were lucky to eat three times a day. We'd usually eat at least, we'll have a good meal once a day. Um, so all the basic stuff that, that we take for granted, refrigerator, I didn't have that. Uh, none of those things, because you're on one room house. So there's no refrigerator. There's no oven. You go out there with chuckles and those stuff. That's how you cook. Um, it was a rough life. It was a tough life. Uh, and I never had a job, uh, not because I didn't want to work. It's because there was no job for me. Unemployment in Haiti is about 60% plus. 
for the 20 years, at least as I was getting older, I felt that there was going to be no hope for me. You know, it wasn't a place that I feel that I can envision what I can be next tomorrow. There was none of that. So that was my life in Haiti until my dad, uh, who's, you know, been coming, trying somehow find a way to get a visa and come to the U.S. and was able to get his green card and was able to become a U.S. citizen and was able to send paper to allow me to come on a residence when I was 20 years old. And he was a cab driver. That's correct. <laughs> How you, did you, you all... You did your homework. I like that. <laughs> what, what, what happened when you moved there? You, you moved to New York City, right? I moved to New York City. So my dad's been a cab driver for a long time. December 26, 1989. That's the time that I came here and I get right into New York City with my big envelope. This is when you know you're going to have... That's the envelope they give you to get your green card. You just get your big envelope. All of a sudden you realize... This place is cold. <laughs> this is, you know, this place is cold. And you, my dad bought me a jacket, and I, I still feel cold and and seeing smoke coming out everywhere, you know. So, so it was a very interesting moment, I will say. So we were all, and some of the family members, we were all in one places, supporting each other, uh, get each other for for work, but more importantly, trying to support each other on. Make sure they know, you know, where to get some English as a second language, which I did when I was in in, the, in Brooklyn, New York. I went to York College in Queens and get English as a second language. So you say, okay, enroll here, try to do that. But every, you know, you start working. I mean, that's just the way it is for immigrants. So we start working, you know, getting a job and and do different things. You know, it doesn't matter. You just try to make money. In 1991, we decided to move to Boston. And the idea of moving to Boston was my dad felt that Boston has better job. More importantly, Boston was calmer than Brooklyn, New York. So it's a way for me to make sure that I don't get into trouble. I felt that the moment I get in the U.S., my life will not be worse than it was in Haiti. And one of the ways in which it got better for you was through education. Absolutely. That your mother could not read and write. That's Yet, she emphasized education. And as you said, whenever you could go to school, you could afford to go to school, you went to school in Haiti. Yes, yes, absolutely. How, how was, what was your educational trajectory in the U.S.? And what was also going on in your life at that time in terms of jobs and whatnot? When I moved to Boston, I uh, took more English as a second language at Bunker Hill Community College. Uh, and I keep going to school there. Once I take enough English as a second language, I try to take other courses at Bunker Hill Community College. Um, I also realize I got to go somewhere else. So I apply at Northeastern and other colleges around here and got accepted at Northeastern. I started in 1993. A year later, I have my daughter. And where I get my daughter, um, and then now I'm a father. You know, so I'm a father, 20-something years old, living in this country. I think it's like 24 or whatever, 24, 25 or so. Living in this country, I say, "Uh uh-oh, I got to take care of my daughter. I also have to go to school. I got to do something. So I've done any type of job you can think of to support me and support my my daughter at the time. I have driven a cab uh, in Cambridge. 
a number from a number of years uh, where I know it was easier for me. I do it, you know, 12 hours, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I can do a good amount of money because it was hard. Um, before that, I have gotten job cleaning bathroom at Harvard University. Uh, again, those hours were part-time, but with good benefit at the time and good insurance uh, at the time. And, you know, you can be there, but they were like 20-something hours. I begged at the uh, uh, at the grocery place, put food in, in bags and people at grocery place. So I tried to do different jobs to combine so I can be free. And then go, and during that time, uh, take care of my daughter and go to school and then graduate from school, graduate from college in 1998, got a bachelor's degree in 1998 in criminal justice. And part of the criminal justice is I always wanted to have working in security, but I didn't want to be a police officer. I wanted to be someone that worked in protecting, more like prevent something from happening before it happened. I sort of have this sort of mindset that was more attractive to me than taking being a cop, which is a very reactive kind of job. Someone did something, you're going to, this is the law to arrest them or not. Uh, so that's what I did. So I went on and to do that. And throughout Northeastern, I was, I got the opportunity about year, my third years at Northeastern to do a co-op, you know, where you, you stop working, <laughs> you know, you get a job. I mean, they help you get a job to a certain school aligned to your degree. Um, and that's what I did. I, my co-op was at CVS. Uh, I did a co-op at CVS and I did so well as a loss prevention uh, personnel, just watching people stealing at the store uh, and also doing all those different backroom uh, processes for the, for the store. And then when I graduate and my boss at the time say, hey, when you graduate, we'll make sure you get a job. So I got a job and I become a regional loss prevention manager. When I graduate from college, I become a regional person that's not only training other people how to become a loss prevention, but also I was doing loss prevention for more than one stores. I decided that I wanted to have a master's degree, some a different, uh, uh, the next level of, of, of degree for my career. I decided everything that I was reading about people that's done corporate security, they had master's degree and all the level of, of, of degree. So I decided to do that. So I went and back and then rolled out notice again and get a master's degree in criminal justice administration, which is more focused on security and so forth. And I got to tell you, look, the moment I graduated from school, from college, I felt that my life was sticking up. I've, I, I think that's probably for the first time, Denzel, that I felt that I was in control. During any of this time, did you feel as though that you were going to be your own boss at some point? I, it's funny. After I graduated, I created a company right after graduation. Created a company, even though I got a job, but I created a side company to do investigation for people for lawyers and everything else. And I even went on and got my uh, uh, detective license in the state to become a PI, you know, you know, you know, private investigator. So I will stay focused on my regular job, but I always keep thinking back and forth. I got people that will call me throughout my other job. Hey, do you want to do X, Y, and Z for us? Do you want to do this? So every so often I will get a little piece of it and then it shut down. So, so, what, so I always have this in my heart. I always feel that I can do my own thing. And it was not because your, your parents were entrepreneurs or oh. your entrepreneurs <laughs> ran into your family. You got that, um, you got education, you got a, a diploma in your hand and it gave you a certain confidence and a certain vision, right? 
But the idea of being an entrepreneur, yes, it was not something that uh, my family was doing or I learned from an uncle. No, it was like my education made me realize I can do those kind of things. I can, I can, I can provide that service to other people. There's a market for what I do. That market, Herbie Duvernay soon would conquer. After five years leading security at Logan International Airport, rising to the highest rank he could, he and some partners founded Taino Consulting Group in Boston in 2009, a security risk management firm named after one of the indigenous peoples of his homeland, Haiti. The firm experienced such tremendous growth that Mr. Duvernay won the Immigrant Learning Center's Immigrant Entrepreneur Award for Business Growth in 2016, among many other accolades. Then, Taino purchased Windwalker Group and expanded their portfolio to include training and their footprint to nine states. And is, is there anything special about uh, Boston being home to, you know, it's, it's home to 12 of the um, Cybersecurity 150 I, I, I saw in Cybercrime Magazine. Was there anything particular notable about founding, headquartering your company here? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. I think that, absolutely. I also believe that despite, among all the other things that I told you, what made me become an entrepreneur, this environment, Boston, is a very attractive environment for new thinking, for innovation, because there's all these universities and schools all around us from Harvard to MIT to BU, Northeastern, you name them, and the Bunker Hills and, 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 and all the other schools out there. So I always feel that it's an environment, you're always in a learning movement, right? You always wanna learn. You always wanna see the possibility. I feel that sometimes learning help you see the possibility, right? What's possible? Once I learn something, I was like, wow, I can believe it. I can do this. I can believe it that I can achieve this one. So that's how I, that's the mindset I think Boston, because it's such a learning full environment that will allow people to sort of go out of your comfort zone. And then it's also, it's easier to have a conversation about being an entrepreneur in Boston. <laughs> Thinking in, in probably most other states. Because this is what people do. Young people get together, they go to school, they partner with each other, and then they say, let's do this. Let's create that. Let's, you know, I mean, this is what people do. So I felt that Boston is a very learning-rich environment that's really allowed me and also many people to excel and do business. And even though we may not have all the answers, but we feel that we have the confidence we can make it work. And bring us into this moment of public health crisis and pandemic. Has COVID driven any additional cybersecurity needs and issues for Windwalker's clients? And give us your uh, oracle view of what physical and cybersecurity is going to look like after COVID. So interesting you're saying that. Cybersecurity and more like technology was five, 10 years ago, was already starting to go in a different direction. You know, we're talking about AI, you know, you know, this is really the way things are going. You know, this is basically where machine learning is gonna do a lot of work, gonna do unbelievable things if we train them to do those kind of things. You know, you can call a call center right now and you think you're talking to a person, but you're talking to a machine. This is where 
technology given and then with all the cybersecurity risks and everything else associated with it gonna go. Anyway, with COVID, I think it really, I believe with COVID that's gonna, that's really accelerated those kind of mindset. Because people realize that you really have to have a business, you know, business people keep thinking, well, if I, if my, if my biggest asset, which business people always knew that, but they probably never sort of believe it. They knew it, but they never believed it. They knew that the biggest asset are the people, but they didn't believe it how big that asset was until they have a problem getting those people, right? A problem, oh, geez, if I'm a restaurant, if I'm a, a call center, oh, geez, I, I'm not, I, this person cannot come to work because, you know, I think that's going to accelerate that mindset, you know, of people, companies going to think about how do I do the work, the services? How do I provide services X with a way that I rely less on people, more on machine? That's going to happen. There's also opportunity for people to even do better because at the end of the day, machine cannot do everything. Machine will do a lot of things, but not everything. So you will need people to be trained, people to really understand that how we can work with machine to do the stuff machine needs to do. Either fix machine to do the things machine has to do, all this kind of thing. So that's part one on the security side. The other thing also too, my other part of my company is the training business. The training business is completely changed upside down. Even though, again, even though 15, 20 years, everybody knew that it's better or it's 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 more advantageous to have people learn in a way that's different, not just be in a classroom. People know that companies were starting to put video content out there to train people from a video platform perspective, even though everybody do that, but not every company were doing that. Even everybody's like, oh, I can see the light, but not every company do that. I think COVID really make companies realize, holy cow, I cannot train these people. I got to create a way to have content online. We are working right now currently with a lot of clients that's been doing classroom training organization. That's been doing classroom training and now starting to do, uh, starting to do, um, asking us to do content, to develop content for them, as opposed to uh, 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 learning in a classroom. So those starting to happen now. So these are the things that I see is happening from not just from a security perspective, but also from the uh, training perspective. So you talk about a particular mindset and I want to bring it back to something you brought up uh, just before we actually started talking, which was a view and a vision of America and changing your mindset in order to really achieve something and be entrepreneurial and do something greater and extra. And I would venture to say that you never imagined that you would be in a position where you would be spending so much time giving back to America for all the opportunity that it gave you. And I just want to run through a list. The Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Massachusetts Bay, the Children's Trust, Haiti Venture Impact Partners, Haiti Development Institute, Rise Together LLC, the Massachusetts Commission on Judicial Conduct, appointed by Governor Baker. Um, in our last minute, you know, 
what does it mean to give back and, and, and why do you do it? Wow. I think, I think that's a, that's a very um, interesting question for me because I, I feel that I, when I came to this country, I quickly realized, uh, not immediately, actually, let me sit back. When I came to America along the journey, I realized that this is a country for all. I sort of got this mindset. At some point, it clicked to me. When I came here, and to be fair, it didn't click. When I came here, I feel like, well, I'm coming to a country, right? It wasn't like I'm coming to a country that I'm going to make it my own. Along the line, I think as I have kids, as I get job, as I work, as I went to school, as I create a professional life, I realized this, this is our America. This is not some people, it's our America. If it is our America, we need to do whatever it takes to make it a place that we feel that we are invested in our own, because this is our own. And that's how I look at it. I look at my involvement in all these organizations, nonprofit and business alike. It's to me saying like, this is my country. If I own a house, you will want to take care of it. When you had, you know, you will want to take care of it. Um, make sure that it, you know, if the barricades in front of the house is falling apart, you want to fix that. If the water, if the shower is not working, they wanted to make it better. So I feel that I have ownership in this country as an American. I have ownership in this country because I, not only I get a lot from this country, but I also provide a lot. I provide my work, my, my, my blood, you know, in terms of working in this country, and, and I realized that it is our country. So I always have this mindset. So that's sort of the, the switch that came to me. Switch came to me like, this is our country. We got to do whatever it takes to invest in it. So I'll always look at this as a way for me to invest. And why I'm doing that? I'm doing that because I believe that this country, without a doubt, with the three kids that I have and a wife and family, it's my country for the next hundreds of generations coming down the line, you know? I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be at some point, you know, 200 years from the line, people's gonna remember there was a Herbie that 200 years ago, that sort of a lineage to this person, to this family member. So this is so- And this is why I think it was so appropriate that you named your business Taino Consulting Group, going back to the indigenous peoples, you're talking about generations to follow you. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen. That's exactly, that's exactly, we got to do that because at the end of the day, we got to see that. And I've seen the connection in my kids who's going to have their own kids, their own great-grandkids, their significant others, whatever. They're going to be part of this America. So if I have to invest in something that I know my lineage and my family is going to be a member of, not doing that is crazy to me. Not participating is crazy to me. You know, and then that's how I see this country. That's how I see my environment. I see my environment as a place where when I'm no longer around, I will have people that are here because of me. Therefore, whatever I have to do during my time to make it a perfect union for them, to work hard to make this country as welcoming as it possibly can be, I'm going to do that. Thank you very much, Herbie DuVernay, CEO of Windwalker Group. Um, this was an excellent conversation and I'm so glad we got the chance to talk to you. 
Pleasure to have me. Thank you so much, Denzel. Thank you. Thank you for your time. So happy that you joined us for this week's inspiring story of another immigrant entrepreneur. If you like what you're hearing, share Jobmakers on Twitter at Pioneer Boston and at ILCTR and on Facebook at Pioneer Institute and at Immigrant Learning Center. Join us again next Thursday at noon. I'm Denzel Mohammed, and thank you for listening to Jobmakers. Thank you.